0: Hello.
1: So I already told you this, but I'll tell the listeners. I just had some <laughs> chamomile tea, so you got to keep me awake.
0: This is the challenge. It's Is that better <laughs> or worse than uh, being distracted with your nails?
1: Mm, I think it's worse. Nails, like, is a very mindless task for me.
0: What about um, Higgins or Remy mm, distracting you?
1: That's probably on par with, with okay.
0: that. Well, I wasn't that... I was sort of successful with that. So... <laughs> Uh, look, a lot of evaluating teachers should really, you know, focus on like growth. So mm-hmm. if you're starting from kind of a very distracted, you know, hard to learn environment, I should get extra points for succeeding even, even in that circumstance.
1: For sure. For sure. You're <laughs> overcoming <laughs> adversity.
0: There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so today's lesson is going to be about Julius Nyereri. Do you know who that is?
1: I only know because you told me last week.
0: Okay. All right. <laughs> he was Fair like
1: enough. president of Tanzania, I think.
0: Yeah, hey, that's right. Hey, I did
1: it. <laughs> Retention.
0: Yeah, he was um, the leader of Tanzania, uh, served as president there. And I think before that, prime minister. We'll we'll talk about like his kind of record. Uh, but he, he's kind of uh, the father of the nation figure there. And so I think first, maybe we'll talk about like why bring him up. And this will kind of become apparent as we go through. Um, But he was a, he was a big time anti-colonialist activist. So he was involved in the struggle for Tanzanian independence. Nice. And sort of in that role plays an important part in freeing Africans from European rule uh, in kind of the wave of decolonization that they saw in the 1960s. So that's going to be kind of the time period we're in. We'll we'll cover a little before then and obviously after then, too. And yeah, so we'll kind of we'll just jump right into it and then kind of do discussion, you know, in our style as we go yeah. slash at the end sort of thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, so starting out, uh, Nyerere was born April 13th, 1922.
1: OK, what is that like an Aries? Probably
0: uh, you were you're, you're asking the wrong <laughs> dude.
1: Let me double check.
0: You are so. the uh, horoscope dude.
1: That's an Aries. Oh, yeah.
0: Fellow Aries. Fellow mm. mistyped Aries, I'm going to say.
1: Okay, okay. Tell me more about this guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he was born in the British colony of Tanganyika in Eastern Africa. So the way to think of this is this is basically Tanzania, like 1.0. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, and Tanzania is in East Africa. Look it up on a map if you don't know I'm where it is. I'm
1: doing that right now.
0: <laughs> to get a, it's it's helpful. It gives you a good little geographical. Okay, over there, I got it. And I am curious to our listenership, how map ignorant is like your if you're not from America, like how map ignorant <laughs> are your people? You know? Oh yeah, we're very yeah. map ignorant unless you're just interested in the thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying. I see. So it's kind of like. A little it's further south, I guess.
0: Yes, yeah, Southeast Africa. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh so that's where he was born. He was the son of Nyerere Burrito, uh the chief of the Zanaki people. Uh and so this, this guy, his dad, uh had been appointed as the chief by the Germans, like Imperial Germany when when the territory was German East Africa before World War One and basically they kind of like set up the chiefs as like their local rulers you know uh he came from a huge family so nireri was born uh to mugaya Nyangombe, uh the fifth of his father's 22 wives
1: holy shit uh
0: yeah incidentally she was 15 at the time <laughs> uh he was one of 25 children
1: just from her or his total?
0: Uh, total, I believe.
1: Okay, okay, that's still a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And his his birth name, because we said he's Julius Nyereri, um, his birth name was Kambarage. So instead of Julius, he didn't have Julius yet. That'll come into play. And he was raised with traditional polytheistic uh, zanaki religious customs.
1: Okay, I don't know anything about those.
0: I don't either. I didn't dig okay. into. Okay,
1: that's, that's where he starts.
0: So he doesn't end there. Okay. Uh, a little bit about his early life. We won't get into too many details, but um, as a child, he sent off to the native administration school about 20 miles away. Uh, This was kind of by this point, a British program of controlling the chieftain elite. Uh, You wanted their kids to go to your schools and learn how to administer your government, your colonial government there, uh, so that they would stay loyal. Classic imperialism.
1: I mean, school is like the earliest form of propaganda slash fascism really
0: <laughs> true yeah um i mean down here in texas we still have them say like the pledge every day and stuff
1: oh yeah do they still do the texas pledge
0: yeah they still do which is one.
1: like a really shitty pledge it's like two lines and it's just like it's like someone just like looked up the definition of a pledge and was like okay honor the texas flag done yeah
0: do you remember it was <laughs> i, th- I want to say it was when we were in school that they added they the under god it. thing
1: oh yeah yeah they did
0: Like it didn't used to have that, which anyway, anyway, (laughs) Anyway.
1: uh,
0: so at school he learned Swahili uh, and he was a big time nerd.
1: Okay. Yeah. I love a nerd. Uh,
0: he did not like athletic competitions of any sort. (laughs) He would prefer to read in his dorm.
1: Hell yeah. Uh, He
0: was smart enough to skip a grade. Uh, and it's around this time that he got into Catholicism.
1: Interesting choice.
0: Yeah. And especially interesting because of what he had to do to get into Catholicism. He had to walk 14 miles out to this mission to go like you know do extra catholicism you know lessons or whatever
1: what the heck
0: (laughs) yeah i mean maybe he was just you know a hiking enthusiast and that doesn't make it into the uh into the record he's just like yeah there was a church there and i wanted water so i you know and i just picked it up uh that becomes very influential in his life
1: interesting would not have expected that <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's in 1934 that he was sent off in 1936 he's completed his primary level there and, and gets a government scholarship to the tambora government school for his secondary school so continues his nerddom it's here that he gets into uh debate and uh kind of learns uh, starts to develop a mastery for the english language uh, he's also a nice guy Apparently he is uh, not like in a in pejorative like what about nice guys, girls? Not like that sort of shit. Um, <laughs> he got
1: friend zoned all the time. No,
0: not that. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. But some of the teachers were like, Oh, maybe he should be the head prefect, but the headmaster was like, No, nah, this dude's too nice. Like he'd get oh, walked all over.
1: That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> so a little personality, like as we as we go along, I kinda wanna fill that in somewhat too. Not just not just the, the just the facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah he was at this time betrothed uh to Magori Waitha. Uh, we say betrothed this was like an arranged marriage by his father she was still just a child Oof. um and this does not actually happen it doesn't they don't follow through with it his father dies in 1942 um and it's then that he gets baptized as a catholic and he takes on as his name because his previous name was like named after a rain spirit or something and i guess he thought that was incongruous with his new faith so he he takes this is when he gets the name julius next up he goes to university uh he goes off to makarere university in kampala uganda and there he is studying to join one of the most notorious professions teaching
1: we got uh an aries who's a teacher and a a nice nerd this sounds familiar
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't know where you would get that um (laughs) so yeah he goes off to university he sticks kind of with his debate uh hobby he gets into philosophy kind of a dark art he was especially fond of john Stuart mill who's like a utilitarian philosopher
1: oh yeah he's the one that did uh oh no that's a different is he the one that did paradise lost
0: no No, that's that's a different uh, guy that's milton i think
1: god damn it never mind (laughs)
0: I don't think it was mostly, well, I don't know anything about Milton other than Paradise Lost.
1: The question is, will I cut this or will I let everyone see my whole ass as A I question. usually do? <laughs> we'll see how I feel tomorrow.
0: Sometimes you're Stalin, you know, airbrushing people out of the <laughs> <Yes>. photos.
1: <laughs> Except it's m- my ass.
0: Yeah. Just, <laughs> I'm going to put pants on here and just airbrush those in. <laughs>
1: I was totally wearing pants, guys. Don't worry about it.
0: Oh. All right, he also gets into a little bit of the light side with <laughs> socialism.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Uh, he wrote a letter, basically a letter to the editor of the local paper there, saying that educated Africans should take the lead in moving Africa in a socialist direction.
1: Mm, okay.
0: So he's kind of like dabbling, you know?
1: Yeah, what, what kind of stuff did he read? They always have a reading list, I feel like
0: his particular stripe of socialism was unique and kind of indicative of of an emerging pattern uh in Africa at that time like this and this especially starts blossoming in the 60s um is this current of african socialism which is not marxist really interesting the big thing i think to me that sticks out is it rejects the class struggle so 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 it tries to say that africa as it has developed historically in terms of its traditional societies. And then in terms of its colonial history, uh, hasn't really developed, uh, the capitalist class and the proletarian class in, in as much. And instead, uh, what it used to have was sort of a village communal egalitarian sort of society. And then colonialism comes in and fucks everything up. But like the fundamental, the fundamentals of the society if you were to remove colonialism would be that traditional sort of village commune style thing
1: huh I mean I don't know anything about that I mean is that is that accurate like were they egalitarian and stuff
0: Uh, the, the, I mean there were, so there were hierarchies involved I mean and there were there were patriarchies and matriarchies depending on where you were uh, but uh, I, so I wouldn't say it's completely egalitarian I think it's a little bit um, idealistic optimistic maybe, but I do think it offered something in terms of critiques of like traditional Marxism, scientific socialism, and also like utopian socialism before then is like, it really, that didn't, none of that was thinking about the African experience, which I think is what it offers is kind of saying, how can we adapt this? How can we say, you know, some of these aspects are good. We want to provide things socially for people and have the means of production and all that. But like in our context, you know,
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like when you have an area that is so heavily colonized, maybe the class distinction becomes less about like pure capital and stuff like that. And it becomes more about like colonizer and colonized.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, you know, something we've seen also in kind of Mao's take on Uh, marxism leninism as he was saying you know oh we gotta get like all the national classes together against the imperialists first and then we do you know then we do more socialism stuff like or more class struggle stuff
1: yeah that makes sense
0: i don't know i guess i'm all for people adapting socialism to their like situation it makes sense to me
1: yeah i'm down
0: (laughs) so anyway Uh, in terms of activism though you know because he was thinking about these things but he wanted to get involved too he joined and built up the local chapter of the Tanganyikan African Association uh, which this was just like a political club basically at first they were mm, more of like a civil rights sort of thing um, advocating for Tanganyikan rights Uh, but eventually Nieri sort of pulls it in, uh, in a different direction not a wholly different direction maybe but like more towards supporting Tanganyikan independence. So he's like, you know, it's not enough. We get them to stop bossing us around like here, but they're still in charge. Like we want to take power, you know?
1: Yeah. What good are rights if somebody else gets to decide what they are?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So in 1947, he completes uh, his schooling there. He goes back home, uh, builds a house for his mom, does some farming uh, and takes up a teaching position at a Catholic school. What does he do there? So he gives some free English lessons to adults and gives and he gives political talks, which I imagine is like the old school, like, oh, like nowadays we would just hop on and do a tweet thread or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you didn't. So you just have to bother people around you. Like, do you know what I think about this?
1: Yeah. Did you see Julius at the church?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At this time, personal life break, he starts courting a teacher named Maria Gabriel. She was like from a different tribe or, or like, you know, ethnic group, but she was a fellow Catholic and they, uh, hit it off. They get engaged in 1948 and they call off the previous, you know, arranged marriage thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they end up getting married, uh, in 1953 and end up having seven children together. Wow. Yeah. And that's like a lifelong thing. They're together pretty much.
1: Spoiler yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no more drama
0: yeah there that's 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 the personal life break
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Come, on. i've been watching a lot of uh telenovelas lately i'm gonna need a few more twists and turns here
0: <laughs> we'll see what we can do i don't i don't know <laughs> all right uh, let's see so politics wise he joined the local uh branch of the taa the Tanganyika african association became its treasurer and kind of like started pushing things along, uh, opened up a co-op store Ooh. like for them, uh, helped rewrite its constitution to make them officially a pro-independence group.
1: Very nice.
0: Yeah. So he's like, come on, we're doing this. Yeah. So uh, he a little more in his education, 1949, he gets accepted to the University of Edinburgh. He gets a scholarship, gets his master's there. Uh, it's just a side note. He doesn't really do a lot. Of crazy stuff there
1: (laughs) and just to be clear at this point tanzania is still under british rule
0: yeah at this point tanzania does not exist oh yeah also
1: tanzania does not exist it's called something else
0: tanganyika is under british rule at the time so after world war one it became a british territory
1: okay gotcha gotcha
0: because they were just like colonies give it to us please
1: they just said yoink uh so
0: okay in 1952 he's done with his master's stuff he moves back to tanganyika near the colonial capital of dar es salaam okay Uh, and he gets a job in again just a a disreputable field teaching history (laughs) at saint francis college how dare you yeah so shout out to the history teachers (laughs) out there (laughs) (laughs) and he he continues his political involvement he's elected president of the taa uh becomes basically in that position becomes the leading independence activist in Tanganyika.
1: Just so I get a sense, was this very popular at the time, or was it still up and coming, or like, how high profile is this?
0: Yeah, it's still up and coming at this point. He's really going to kind of kick off the rapid, rapid growth of this. Gotcha. In 1954, the TAA become gets a new acronym, changes its name, and becomes the TANU.
1: Okay, new t-shirts.
0: Yeah, it's so this one's the Tanganyikan. African National Union.
1: Okay, ooh, I like that.
0: Yeah, this one is a full-on political party. Uh, in 1954, they can't really run for anything yet, but their first general elections for the Legislative Council there in Tanganyika was going to be in 1958. They would run in that. Um, before that point, all the seats in that Legislative Council are just appointed by the colonial government.
1: <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, not great. And even in that first general election, I think they open up like 30 of the seats
1: wow, to be elected, okay.
0: but the rest of them aren't?
1: Out of how many seats?
0: I don't know the total. This was pretty hard to find records on stuff for that um based on my limited admittedly li- limited digging. Um <laughs> but then gradually like later it's 71 seats that are open for election, so more than that, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Jesus.
0: So anyway, Nierari charted a fairly moderate course uh, with the TANU. Uh, He emphasized nonviolence for one thing. So he was a big admirer of Gandhi's independence movement in India, which by this point has succeeded. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also was uh, not like a uh, what the contemporaries were calling like a racialist. So he was saying, you know, that Europeans and Asians would not be ejected from when, when they got independence, like if, if they had an African led government, they were not just going to kick out everyone else. Gotcha. Which not everyone was saying, you know, some people were saying (laughs) like this, like only Africans should have citizenship in this new state and things like this. And he was like, no, 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 let's be more inclusive.
1: I can't really fucking blame them after, after what they did, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I I think that I, yeah, I don't want to vilify that too much for sure.
1: Yeah. Like I get it.
0: Yeah, but he thought it was maybe more pragmatic, to more inclusive, and seem less radical, piss less people off if you say, hey, you know, you guys are going to be in too. That, of course, won him, you know, the praise and adulation from the colonial British government, right? Um, <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, they're like, oh, thank you. I'd love to stay here.
0: Yeah, I would have freed you yesterday if I'd have known. But <laughs> instead, they were, you know, still suspicious of him. Uh, he ends up on a watch list getting spied on by... The colonial government there he uh this is an example of that in 1955 he goes to new york city uh, to represent uh tan Yu at the un meeting there uh that was talking about like the timetable for Tanganyikan independence and everyone was saying like 20 25 years
1: Holy, okay first off the fucking nerve like let's let's every other country gets to discuss the independence of a different country like what the fuck
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's like if you get punished oh. in school and something, and all your classmates get to decide how long like you're in detention <laughs> for.
1: That's insane.
0: So yeah, and he Niereri said that timetable is messed up, man. That's yeah. way too long. Uh, he said we're going to do it way quicker than that, and everybody was like, maybe, probably <laughs> not. The U.S. incidentally um, prevented him from staying too long like beforehand. Or from moving outside of an eight block radius from the U.N. headquarters.
1: Wow. 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 What did they do? They just like had like.
0: Like the cops, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Basically saying, you got to stay here.
1: What the fuck?
0: Yeah. Well, they didn't come up with that idea themselves. Their friends over in the U.K. said, you know, hey, mates, can you keep an eye on him? Mm hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Brilliant little police state stuff.
1: Good times. Good friends.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He gets back. Gets back and quits his teaching job because uh, the government was harassing his school and saying, like, <gasps> you got to fire this student. And he's like, I don't want that to fall on y'all. I'm going to quit. So he goes and and he works for as a translator for a while um, and a tutor for mm, this other mission group called the Mary Knoll Fathers, which okay. they're kind of wild. They they seem like kind of anti-colonialist, but like a Catholic mission thing. They're, it's interesting.
1: That sounds familiar. I feel like I've read about that is it like with a g in it
0: no this is with a k like grassy mm-hmm. knoll mary oh, knoll. okay i don't know they, they were kind of kind of weird but i didn't dig too deeply because that's not the main story today
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got you closed that tab responsibly i'm so proud of you
0: thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> i included the link in the notes plug for our patreon <laughs> here if you want to yes. If you can't be bothered to look it up on Wikipedia yourself.
1: (laughs) It has all the rabbit holes pre-dug for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One of the big things that happens in this time period, you said, okay, so the Tanyu is up and coming. Under Nyereri's leadership, they really, really, really grow the party. They go from 100,000 members nationwide in 1955 to 500,000 in two years.
1: Oh, gosh, that's a lot.
0: Yeah. So how they accomplish this is for one, constant travel, they're doing rallies all over the place. All right. Uh they are spreading their message, this anti colonial, this nationalist message. Uh and it's I mean it catches fire, you know. It's popular.
1: Yeah. Hold on. I'm gonna Google the population at the time.
0: I think it's still in the millions somewhere.
1: All right. What year are we looking at? Nineteen fifty five
0: to nineteen fifty seven
1: okay well 1960 they were at 22 million
0: yeah so probably you know you could say 20 million so yeah i mean it is a registered political party you know you think about political parties in america or really anywhere like the card carrying members are a lot fewer in number than that's true the supporters which we that's will see true. here in a bit <laughs> <laughs> in this campaign it's very inclusive we mentioned earlier that he's he's trying to reach out to different racial groups too uh so he befriended uh white tanganikans as well including like kind of prominent you know society figures or whatever like got a few of them on their side you know i mean essentially traitors to their to their uh <laughs> project there, their imperialist project but kind of won them over you know the of course the british colonial government still hated him for that that didn't win, not win him any points <laughs> at all
1: <laughs> absolutely not
0: though I would say like to be a member of the TANU you still had to be African at that time that would change later but okay. that was still like a rule so
1: Makes not 100
0: percent also brought in women cool so in 1955 you saw the founding of the TANU women's section this was not Nyerere founding it uh, this was a woman named Bibi TT Mohammed and this was a big deal in terms of popularizing the party uh, by the end of 1955, you actually had more card-carrying tanu members who were women than men.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So they just got all the ladies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was a big Hell part yeah. of it. Now, it was still kind of like the prototype of they, they they were not pushing for full like women's liberation, gender equality yet. So some of the actions at the time, they were putting pressure on their husbands to like show up to. <laughs> uh, the meetings and everything. It reminded me kind of of the, the Harlan County stuff.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say.
0: So some of the local chieftains, you know, they're essentially imperial puppets and they like ordered the local population like don't attend, you know, these are rabble rousers, that sort of thing. And the women would basically, you know, try to shame them into like, you're really going to let him tell you that? Like, come on. <laughs> and then they came up with a tactic of refusing to cook for husbands that didn't go to. Oh
1: my God, I love it. <laughs>
0: they're just like dude you're going to be hungry if you don't go.
1: yeah you're going to make your own fucking dinner <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's um,
0: great. eventually this organization evolves into the umoja wa wanawake wa Tanzania the UWT uh, which it's it's a name change but it evolves also to not just they're, they're kind of in at first an auxiliary that's fighting for in, you know independence within TANU right there they're like mm-hmm. helping them with the independence thing later on their goal changes to advocating for women's equality in tanzania
1: okay so they eventually split off
0: right yeah they're they're still like affiliated but their goal is not just like let's help the party it's let's help the party focus on women's issues gotcha and even within that so they they start doing those you know quote-unquote women's issues things like childcare, housekeeping traditional sort of things like that um but they also add to that political education literacy helping people establish cooperatives and stuff. And then when you get, by the time you get to the seventies to just to kind of tie this in, we're jumping ahead a little time wise, but by the time you get to the seventies, they've broadened their goals to include like just straight up women's liberation.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. I would qualify to say that like, there aren't a lot of laws that are passed specifically focused on that. So it's more like, you know, they were advocating these ideas, but it's hard to see where that really translated into government policy specifically you know, advancing feminine, the, the feminist agenda, but it was there. It was like an idea, I guess. Is they what were I pushing wanted. for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back to the fifties. Uh, we get to the election in 1958 uh, where Tanyu participates. Uh, some people wanted to boycott it, but Nyerere was like, no, 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 we can't, we, you know, we, we're not going to boycott <laughs> it. Like we won't get to do anything if we boycott it. The reason they wanted to do that is because every district that was open for a vote, you know, uh, every district would elect three representatives: one African, one European, and one Asian. But the population was 98 percent African.
1: What the fuck?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> people were upset about that. That's why they were like, "Let's boycott." And Nyerere's like, "No, let's 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 fucking do this thing." So they participate. They win every seat they contested <gasps> in all of the uh, seats, even the ones that were like uh, run by an independent candidate because they were European or Asian. Uh they were pro Tanu. So they they were like I'm um, I'm not a party member. I can't be. But Yeah, but I'm in. Yeah.
1: That's crazy.
0: So they basically swept the whole thing. Uh Nereri got elected himself, uh, you know, in one of the seats. Uh, and so the the government had to give them like, you know, several ministerial posts to kind of Nice. assuage them. And that that holds them over for a bit. February 1960 uh is a momentous Uh, event in colonial history uh, because this is when the prime minister of great britain uh, harold Macmillan, who was a conservative uh, gave a speech called the wind of change where essentially he said uh, that the british empire was going to start decolonizing
1: (laughs) that's pretty crazy
0: yeah it was just like uh yeah we can't do this anymore (laughs) and and, um there's a lot of analysis as to why that was the case and it's not our main story but basically they didn't no no longer had the resources they were trying to build the welfare state they had just been devastated in world war ii they they read the writing on the wall they were like that's going to be too expensive to maintain what we can do instead is economic imperialism we don't have to straight up occupy places
1: wow okay
0: so that was you know A big, bright spot for Tanganyika uh, looking for, you know, people who are fighting for independence there. For sure. So elections come up in August that year. Uh, Tanyu wins 70 of the 71 seats that were up.
1: (laughs) Holy shit.
0: The last one actually is funny because it was uh, the official Tanyu candidate versus an independent challenger, but who was also a party member, but just like (laughs) kind of a primary race, basically. (laughs)
1: Oh my gosh, that's
0: great. He just joined the party, you know, or became the official guy once he won. So That's funny. So they swept it again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's March 1961 that they have a conference, a constitutional conference, to determine Tanganyika's path to independence. All of a sudden, the timetable is way sped up. No more 2025 years nonsense. Now we're talking next year.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yep. So... You know, keeping up the pressure. I mean, that that really helped things along. Uh, Nereri agreed at that point to keep Queen Elizabeth. Yes, that Queen Elizabeth, because she's so oh dang old. Oh, my
1: God. She's like the crypt fucking keeper. <laughs> Jesus.
0: Yeah. To keep Queen Elizabeth <laughs> on as the head of state for a year. And then they would become a full republic after that.
1: Wow. Okay. Very generous. I would have kicked the bat to the curb, but that's fine.
0: Yeah, I think he's really trying to, you know, keep the peace and make sure that this because this happens completely peacefully. The whole decolonization part here, like like they get their independence. They don't. There's no, you know, war at all.
1: I I keep waiting for it to pop off again, just like last week. I'm like, where's where's the fights? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no. This is this happens uh, peacefully. May 1961 is when Tanganyika is granted self governance with Nyeri being the prime minister. And then full-on independence with the queen as the head for a little bit uh, starts December 9th, 1961. So he's in charge now, and more broadly, the TANU is in charge, right? It's not, we'll see as we go along, it's not just a one-man show. One big thing they do early on is mobilizing the people. So there's this program that sounds really dumb, but looks kind of cool. Uh, Okay. they were called the government self-help program.
1: (laughs) That does sound really dumb. They just send you a celebrity self-help book every month. Yeah,
0: right. (laughs) Or just, you know, have you tried slowly breathing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but so what they did here is um, villagers were encouraged to work one day a week for the community. So, you know, you're doing your other shit. But like Mm. one day was like community service day interesting and they put together like community service brigades basically but like hardcore stuff building roads building wells schools clinics all this stuff
1: whoa that's some dispossessed stuff
0: yeah they were putting together the work brigades basically
1: interesting uh
0: they also uh let the kids get in on it they had what was called the national youth service uh which was uh Lakujenga la cujenga taifa the army to build the country
1: oh okay
0: and so so it's 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 kind of good, kind of weird because it's uh, like a young people <laughs> public works program, which is cool. It's like a CCC I think it's cool. uh, plus paramilitary training.
1: I, that part's a little less cool, but you know, whatever. <laughs>
0: uh, so yeah, we would you know we we'd be I don't know to be honest, we wouldn't be good at either part of it really. We'd, no, lazy. God, I
1: have I have no practical skills, but like, what <laughs> if I were in a communist youth organization? Maybe I'd know how to like fix a sink or something. Yeah, there you go. I don't know how to do anything right now.
0: <laughs> oh. So yeah, uh, th- that's some of the stuff they're focused on early on. There came up that question about citizenship and your was like, no, 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 I-, I will resign if you guys make it only <laughs> African citizenship. And Dramatic. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> they were like, uh, never oh, mind. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> uh, So he did. Yeah. He has the flair for dramatics. It comes across in the readings on him that he's very personable. Like, Everybody loves him. Even the dude who was like the colonial governor that would write cables and stuff back to Britain and say, uh, this guy's a racialist. Like, he sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, you know, he's just trying to get power. He also admitted in his books, like, he's really, like, he's really nice. Like, he's super <laughs> likable. He's a good, I think he's a good man, you know.
1: Man, was he hot? Hold on. Oh, he's pretty handsome. I could see how, like, he could be charming. High charisma stat. Either okay, way.
0: there you go. <laughs> he's playing a bard. <laughs> he's very religious maybe he's a paladin
1: oh yeah yeah
0: all right so uh he also in those early days he's kind of getting everything on the ground kind of setting the framework for things one thing was getting rid of those hereditary chiefs so he just abolished their jobs y'all aren't chiefs anymore y'all don't get government money anymore see ya i mean you can still call yourself chief if you want but you're not getting any money for it
1: okay my one question on this is that like wasn't part of his original ideas about like returning to like a a pre-colonial, I guess tribal state, is that accurate?
0: Uh yeah, like that that was a uh component of it, but I think that maybe so we're we're kind of misreading into um, the tribal nature is not the focus so much as like the sense of community. So gotcha. they were saying that the the in the old tribal form you did have this sense of community that was good. But by this point, the the tribal chieftains are like holdovers from the colonial administration and kind of getting in the way
1: yeah we did not want this version of that
0: <laughs> yeah now you want to rebuild that sense of community but through well the state through through right. communal efforts and, and things like that so that was one thing uh also reforming uh, the government itself in terms of staffing uh basically here he just uh, started giving severance pay Uh, to hundreds of white British civil servants and started replacing them with indigenous Africans. So in an effort to basically make the government look more like uh, the people there.
1: I mean, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Given the numbers for sure. I know he was trying to be inclusive too, but like, I mean, you wanted it not to feel like still the colonial government too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it.
0: He also very strictly fought against racism uh just straight up deported people, uh like British people who were accused of racism.
1: Sorry, what?
0: Yeah, like could we can we do that please? Just deport people for racism?
1: That'd be amazing. Holy shit.
0: Just made it illegal, <laughs> reported it to the government. Oh and then my bam. gosh.
1: Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. That's amazing. Like what, what constituted that? Like just just hate speech or something or
0: uh, I'm not sure on the specific details on that. I do know that there was a hotel that, um, got accused of like insulting the president, uh, of Guinea, uh, Ahmed Toure, very prominent African leader got insulted by them and, and the government just shut down their hotel. They were like, Nope, <laughs> not doing that.
1: Oh, that's crazy.
0: There was this other like fancy club. I don't know. It's like a golf club or what? Some country club style thing, you know? officers club maybe but anyway they were refusing 10 new members there and so the government's like that's fine we're shutting you down <laughs> we are selling all your shit and confiscating it
1: that's hilarious oh my gosh i love it
0: so yeah that was kind of cool uh let's bring it back down though um <laughs> oh in the early days they also did uh ban strikes
1: okay what
0: boo yeah you see this sometimes and there there is in the course of world history some examples of labor unions being used in an anti-communist way
1: oh like uh wasn't there those recent truckers in where were they
0: that so that in canada that wasn't like a canada right yeah but that wasn't a a labor union i don't think i think that was just like white guys on facebook (sighs)
1: Yeah, but I, I guess what I meant was that's an example of like a, a conservative strike.
0: Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like there there can be bad labor actions when it's mm-hmm. not about like improving working conditions, but it's just about like being racist or whatever. Right?
1: Yeah. Mostly being racist.
0: And then, you know, then the left trips over itself trying to like mm-hmm. find a way to say, well, we got to talk to the working class. Yeah, uh, for sure. And you've seen it also in like Poland in the 80s uh the west was really funding the solidarnosc uh, labor union there and and like using it as like a what they would call a civil society group which was like a like a pro western sort of uh liberal reform sort of thing they were pushing the, in that direction uh so they they kind of used that as well like uh george soros pu- pumped a lot of money in that like that was one of the big things that he did back in the day you know, basically trying to open the place up for capitalism.
1: You mean George Soros isn't a communist? He sends me a check every month.
0: <laughs> what? You guys are getting paid?
1: <laughs> uh.
0: But yeah, I, and I, so I, I want to take a few steps back, I guess, is I don't know that that was happening here. There are sometimes instances where labor unions can be, and I believe Sankara did the same thing in Which We Criticized oh. Him For.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was one of his strikes.
0: Yeah. In Burkina Faso. So I I, get, I don't know if they were like fearful of things like that or like the old colonial powers using them or what, but it was there and they did it. And I, maybe you can find a better way to do that. Hopefully.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a rough one.
0: So feel free to give them a strike for that one if you want.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I will.
0: All right. Strike one <laughs> for Julius. <laughs> they also passed a law called the preventative detention law. What this was for is to go after people who are deemed a threat to national security.
1: Okay. Not sure I'm going to like this one either.
0: Yeah, to me it reads a bit heavy-handed. I mean, essentially, you know, oh, is someone doing treason or is someone plotting against the government? You can throw them in jail.
1: Yeah, the preventative part <laughs> sounds like a, a pretty vague term.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like kind of a minority report like you were about to do it sort of thing. yeah
1: yeah you're doing um, some pre-crime
0: and we'll we'll get into it a little later in the controversies tab um
1: <laughs> everyone has one
0: yeah <laughs> when we talk about um like people getting imprisoned with that law and stuff so mm, but it's okay. there this is when it comes into effect anyway a, l- a little negative detour there they draw up a new constitution though for converting to a republic remember that's still going to happen uh, and so they do that. And then November, 1962, uh area is elected president with 98% of the vote. <laughs> oh. I, so I really did try to like, I couldn't find anything. So I couldn't, I was looking at a variety of sources and couldn't find any that focus on these very high percentages.
1: Yeah. That's pretty wild
0: uh, to us. now that's not 90% of people overall. That's like of people who voted. But you know, to us that looks very fishy. Um, <laughs> I want to say that if the West had any evidence of like a leftist leader, like, wouldn't they be trumpeting that? And, like, oh, that for sure, be,
1: for sure, they'd be like, "Oh, it was super shady." We and all, all know, and know that
0: was rigged, yeah, because they because oh, they, yeah. they can't stop talking about it in any <laughs> in any circumstance, right? No, Even yeah. when it's a real election. But <laughs> so I, so that's why I'm I'm hesitant to say it's suspicious because why would they not be denouncing him as a as a fraud you know
1: it's yeah it is suspicious how not suspicious it is <laughs> yeah
0: so anyway there's that uh he usually wins by a lot i don't know if it's 98 the whole time but it's like a lot you know
1: yeah popular guy
0: yes well you know in high charisma role maybe mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. all right so december 9th 1962 tanganyika becomes a republic and yuriri is the president of Uh, He makes a bunch of official state visits all over the world, um, visits the U.S.
1: How does that one go? Does he get to go more than eight blocks this time?
0: Uh, He gets to go to the White House, so there's that. Oh, okay. Uh, He goes and visits uh, JFK at the time. And they they hit it off. They're friends. They're, they're, you know, high charisma, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But he fails his persuasion check. He can't convince Uh him to be like an anti-apartheid. You know, make any statements against apartheid. So, yeah, he you know did what he could, I guess. But had a nice smile. So, (laughs) Uh, one big thing that Nyerere did in his term in office was make important uh, diplomatic connections with other African countries. Uh, He was a Pan Africanist. Pan Africanism has like a long and cool history of all its own. It's not our main story here. Uh, but the idea of it, you know, Newary's idea of it and other African leaders like Kwame Nkrumah and Thomas Sankara, uh, the idea was to like politically unite the whole African continent. Nueri thought this should be like done gradually. You put together some regional confederations and then you tie those together, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but he, in June, 1963 met with, uh, the president of Kenya, Jomo Kenyatta, uh, and the Ugandan president, Milton Obote, and talked with them and was like, hey, what have we put together? One of these federations uh, made like an East African federation. Uh, this did not really work out. Uh, they, oh, no. <laughs> they kind of, you know, uh, uh, slow rolled it, bickered a little bit, and it just didn't it didn't come to fruition. That was a big disappointment for Nyerere but in in 1967 so a while later they do get like a light version of um it's like an intergovernmental cooperation organization so it's not quite a big a deal but it's called the east african community but the, but the whole the real project of putting it all together that doesn't actually pan out uh uh-huh, pan hmm. <laughs> yeah i didn't mean for that to happen
1: oh you did somewhere
0: <laughs> somewhere in your head uh all right next we get to a mutiny
1: Ooh, okay. Some drama
0: fighting. Yeah. Some drama, uh, January, 1964, the decided to end the, you know, you can call it kind of an affirmative action program for the civil service thing that he was doing where he was like getting rid of the, you know, the white people. Yeah. He was like, that was always going to be temporary time to just do it by merit. Uh, some of the soldiers in the army got mad about that and a group of them on January 20th, uh, 1964, uh started an uprising at Calito Barracks uh, they called themselves the Army Knight Freedom Fighters and it went really well for them uh to start with yeah they marched on the capital they seized the state house uh Nueri had to like run and hide in a catholic mission shit uh, yeah like he just straight loses his capital <laughs> for a while fuck they demand the dismissal of white officers they demand a pay raise and they and they and the mutineers capture Uh, Some government official, like, you know, not as high ranking, but somebody uh, and they kind of force him to fire all the white officers to appoint indigenous replacements and all this. Wow. Yeah. And you January 23rd uh, gives a press conference. You know, finally, he's out of hiding again and (laughs) saying says basically like this is embarrassing, but I'm going to stand strong. I'm not calling the British to help me out of this. Uh, but then, two days later, um, he he so, so he calls he, call he the calls British? the British for military aid. Oh
1: my God, no! <laughs> uh,
0: so they send in. They're like, okay, yeah, you know, they send in uh, sixty British Marines. They're just like choppered in, and they they force the mutineers to surrender. And so, yeah, Nuri kind of embarrassingly gets his country back.
1: Wow, that sucks, dude. What happened to your youth paramilitary group?
0: They were still in training, I guess. They're
1: still like teenagers or something. Yeah,
0: he didn't want to go the child soldier route.
1: That's a a fair point.
0: Uh, So he disbands the rebel battalion, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fires.
0: Yeah. He (laughs) fires a lot of soldiers, um, fires about 10% of the cops that he's got, and arrests around 550 people suspected of helping the rebellion
1: that seems like a lot was it that many
0: it didn't turn out to be like they released a bunch of them soon after okay okay Uh, they do put 14 of them on trial and convict them uh they get anywhere from five to 15 years in prison
1: okay well i was expecting like death so that's good
0: no they just get imprisoned
1: okay i mean still not great but okay
0: yeah prisons do suck but yeah so i guess from this maybe he learns a lesson and he kind of writes about this that he hadn't done enough to reform the army like he kind of he did a little bit, but it was still essentially colonial. You know, he actually just ends up keeping the changes that the mutineers had demanded. He he, he starts place. But he kind of goes further than that and starts placing uh, TANU personnel in the army and in important industries to kind of head this off in the future, which like probably should have already been doing.
1: Probably. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Next up, we're going to we're going to uh change the name here we've been doing that a lot
1: Mm, okay another rebrand
0: yeah uh changing the name here so in january of 1964 january 12th launches the zanzibar revolution in next door in the sultanate of zanzibar uh and the zanzibar revolution was led by a marxist leninist party called the afro shirazi party
1: oh okay what what's their deal
0: Well, they were communists um, (laughs) and they wanted to overthrow uh, the Arab minority run monarchy that ran Zanzibar. So Zanzibar had just gotten the year before it had just gotten its independence from the UK with the sultanate in charge. And so now that the Brits aren't really there to really back them up, the communists are like, let's do it.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, what happens?
0: So they overthrow it. And then their new revolutionary government. Uh, quickly, you know, just does massive land reform.
1: Ooh, yes, my fave.
0: Well, it it was not uh, the West's fave.
1: (laughs) No, no shit.
0: (laughs) And um, the Soviets and China and socialist countries in Eastern Europe start helping out the new revolutionary government. Hell yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, the British and the United States are really pissed off
1: Just say bad guys, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing.
0: Uh Nireri was actually quite taken aback by this. He was surprised. Uh, he recognized the new government, um, but is quickly trying to put something together uh to unite Tanganyika and the Zanzibar uh archipelago. So Zanzibar. And he's able to he meets with the Zanzibar's leader and Gets them to agree to do this union to create a new country, basically <gasps> called Tanzania.
1: <gasps> okay, that's pretty cool. How okay? How did how does he get them to agree that? Because like, no offense, this guy doesn't seem like he's done anything that communist.
0: Uh, no, and he really wasn't espousing straight up communism, really ever. He's talking about socialism a lot, especially later. But yeah, he's not. He's not full on doing. Communism. There's a couple of different schools of thought here, and there's nothing really that dives into like, okay, what really, what did they really talk about? But Nureyev says, okay, you know, we're we're trying to work for Pan Africanism, right? Uh, we're we're trying to band together so we can chart our own course, so that we don't get you know run over by the U.S. or something like that. Uh, we're stronger together. Other people have speculated and said, you know, this looks kind of like it's part of a Cold War power struggle. Like, he's trying to maybe prevent a sort of Vietnam-like situation from happening next door. Mm, okay. He doesn't want, you know, the U.S. to come do a bloody war over there right next to him and set up a puppet state. He'd rather have a friend, you know, and, and do that. Some people kind of criticized it and said maybe he was trying to kind of cool down a too radical revolution.
1: That's kind of was my first thought was. Well, maybe more so from the other side of, like... I'm, I wonder, like, the the communists who just took over, I wonder if they they felt kind of, like, insecure in their place of, like, I don't know if we can hold this, you know, better yeah. to team up with the socialists than, like, let's let the British take over or somebody else, you know?
0: I think that had to play a role in it, for sure. They are tiny. They don't have a lot of resources to fight that off. So, to me, that made sense.
1: Yeah, I had to zoom in quite a bit to find them So <laughs> on the map.
0: So, we got a new country now, Tanzania. They actually did that by like a, a contest, like, a you know, they said, submit oh, names.
1: Fun. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. So now he's president of Tanzania and we'll kind of move on from there. Let's talk about his foreign policy somewhat. We just got into it a little bit with his neighbor, now constituent Zanzibar, as President of Tanzania in August of 1964, he allows um, Chinese instructors and interpreters to come uh, help train the Tanzanian army. So he starts kind of a, a trajectory here of getting a little closer to China.
1: Hmm. Uh oh. We talking that Sino
0: split? Doesn't really seem to negatively impact that. In February 1965, uh, he gets to go to China. Does a state visit. And he's really, like, fascinated with, impressed by Mao's uh, project there, this egalitarian, very agriculturally focused project. And we've talked about, like, the problems that it had and everything, but Nyerere is seeing this as, like, inspirational. He's like, whoa, you know, what could I do? How could I take some of this back? So in June 1965, uh, Chinese premier Zhou Enlai uh, visits Tanzania, so like a return visit you know and after that uh millions of pounds of investments pour in from china
1: uh, to pay
0: for textile mills farm equipment there's a huge railway linking tanzania and zambia called the tazara railway uh, so they really start helping tanzania to, to grow to develop uh, he was also foreign policy wise you know, stuck to his guns as an anti-colonialist. So he would help, uh, Tanzania served as like a, a base of operations really, uh, for various African liberation groups. So he was just like, yeah, y'all set up like camps or whatever. You know, do, <laughs> <Welcome. your thing." laughs>
1: do you need any snacks? Do you need any guns? Oh, <laughs> uh, he's just
0: the, the den mother. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he made friends with various anti-colonial governments, uh, and opposed, those governments who are working with like white minority governments like Rhodesia and South Africa, anybody who was friends with them, he was like, you know, fuck off, basically. Uh, he threatened to leave the British Commonwealth in 1965 uh, because of their support for Rhodesia and for South Africa.
1: Fuck, I forgot he was still in that.
0: So, yeah, that's the weird thing about the British Commonwealth <laughs> is Tanzania is still a part of the British Commonwealth. Do you know what this this is like a like a cooperative? This is like
1: when you have the queen on your money still
0: yeah or like yeah it's it's just it's kind of like a trade sort of thing or whatever like it's not oh, okay. it's not a real union of any sort you're still your own country but you're just like yeah we used to be british you know that sort of thing. yeah
1: yeah, yeah. it's just like you kind of like the queen for some reason yeah, that's how I i've always pictured it
0: right i would have burnt that bridge but you know you do you
1: yeah yeah for real i'd say i'm i'm glad to be done with you but okay
0: <laughs> that was a bad chapter in my life
1: <laughs> we don't have to talk about it
0: i've moved on
1: for real <laughs>
0: Uh, he also called out american involvement at one point in the congo crisis uh, which was this was like a soviet u.s proxy war Mm -hmm. the u.s had done some fuckery there
1: was this the one that che was in i know he went to the congo
0: yep yeah (gasps) i did it very good thank you the one che was in yeah one of the same uh and he he was like uh america's fucking that place up you know He also, at some point, expelled two U.S. embassy workers who were probably doing, like, CIA spy (laughs) shit or whatever.
1: Yeah, Uh, great.
0: He got, like, intel that they were, you know, and the sources, like, just, oh, they were accused. But, I mean, come on,
1: like. (laughs) I mean, they're, like, right next door to Congo. Like, they definitely.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) But I want to dive here. It's a good time to do it because they they had this big party meeting. So I want to dive a little more into. Nyerere's like vision of socialism.
1: Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard enough about it.
0: <laughs> All right, so it's January nineteen sixty seven that TANU has an executive meeting, and here Nyerere presents a new statement of party principles. It's called the Arusha Declaration.
1: All right, what are we declaring?
0: So it committed Tanzania and well the party to building a democratic socialist state focused on self reliance. Uh, It said that they wanted to break away from dependence on trade with other countries. So that's that self-reliance bit, Uh, especially focusing on agricultural production, nationalization and communal production.
1: I mean, I'm down with all those things.
0: Yeah. His argument was kind of like, we can't, you know, we're going to be bossed around if we depend on everyone else for our supplies, for keeping us alive. They hold the leash.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense.
0: So, part of this uh, idea that comes out of the Arusha Declaration is something called Ujamaa, which translates in Swahili to like extended family or brotherhood.
1: Ooh, okay. So, some community stuff?
0: Yes, very much so. It's community focused, it's village focused, it has that self reliance, but like as a people, not bootstrap stuff, you know? Um, And along with that, like the creation of a of a tanzanian identity so like we're in this together here's here's who we are as a people and we help each other out and we grow together that sort of thing so that's kind of what he comes out with and then the party spreads you know just just sends people cadres throughout the country uh, including the area himself uh, to kind of spread the word And we talked earlier about like his idea of African socialism, not his idea, but his adherence to that idea. And that's, that's very much wrapped into this. Uh, there's, it aspires to building a classless communal society, uh, with a very grassroots, a very consensus model of democracy.
1: I mean, that sounds very good. That sounds right up my alley.
0: It's very, it's very, it's very (laughs) anarcho in that sense. However, it's like, initially run through the state
1: yeah that's what's interesting about it like everything else like he says you know he's, he's democratic socialist which is like not very far left but then like his goal is pretty anarchist i think
0: yeah yeah it's it's interesting to think mm, is that the right avenue maybe to like driving it that way with the state but i mean i guess it's essentially you know communists are trying to do the same thing is withering away the state he's just not using that language
1: yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I was kind of confused by that too, that kind of juxtaposition, but I think you're right. I think it's, it's very similar. Like we're we're going to get there. This is how we're going to do it though.
0: Yeah. And I think part of it may have been, you know, he, cause he gets along so well with everybody that he's really trying to speak people's language. You know, he's gone to college. He's studied Marx and everything. He knows that. Um, but he's trying to say like, how does this work for our people? Like, I don't want to be some, you know, fucking lunatic out here. Oh, do all this, you know, like this wild stuff from Europe, like,
1: and not only that, like you have to then like take that extra step to like educate them on that and get everyone on board and like, yeah, it just makes much more sense to put it in terms that they all like are down with.
0: Yeah. And that's not like really just salesmanship tactics. Like it, it may well better integrate with the society, you know, better people might identify with it more and like, uh, know how to run it better.
1: Yeah, because you can, like, it's more self-referential, so you can be like, oh, yeah, like, I, I know about this from our culture, so, like, I know how this will work. It gives people, like, something to compare to.
0: Right, yeah. Part of the Ujamaa vision was uh, supporting a one-party state, which get, kind of gets into this interesting, you know, idea that we're we're talking about, like, how are we doing this state run? Well, also, how are we doing this as a one-party state, but having democracy, right? Nyerere's argument for this was that, you can tell me what you think about it, that one, having one party allows it to represent the nation as a whole, rather than just a section of the party, right? If you have two parties, then each party's really only caring about a certain group of people. And that's, you know, that that's whose interest they look after. Whereas one party has to look after everyone's you can still, and they still did in practice have multiple candidates for seats within that party. You know, so you still have, like, an internal party democracy of oh, what's the best course, but, like, the party, the only one you have is is that way so that it can fully represent everyone. That was his idea.
1: Huh. I mean, it's not bad. It's almost, I mean, at that point, I'm like, well, then don't have any parties, but I get it.
0: Yeah. He's the one who had the quote of, uh, you know, America is also a one-party state, but <laughs> the typical bourgeois decadence, they have two of them.
1: <laughs> that's right oh yeah oh i mean yeah i think that makes sense in a lot of ways i i don't know um i mean here's the thing i'm definitely not for the two-party system because that thing don't work anymore like yeah, that's no it's broken. that's fucking broke <laughs> so for sure yeah i'd be more willing to try a one party or a many party or whatever you know
0: yeah a one party i guess like you said it, it kind of ends up being no party in a way but it's like you run your democracy through it. Like it's everything. Cause you see this in Soviet union and, in China as well as, and in existing social estates is there's a lot of like democracy and debate that happens on the lower levels and everything. And it mm-hmm. looks like things are, are rubber stamped or, or what have you as you go. But by the time you get up to the upper levels, like that person's been voted on like six times at each level. So I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think that Americans, and a lot of a lot of people who don't live in these countries, we don't really it looks foreign to us. We don't really.
1: Mm-hmm. It looks like you don't have a choice.
0: Right. Yeah. But if you talk to people like from Cuba and stuff, they they you know, they they feel like we have a lot more democracy than you have, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway,
1: we'll So okay, right real there. quick. Yeah. No, I'm continuing the side. Route. Stay. At, don't all exit right, yet. All
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't get back on the highway. <laughs> so if you have a one party system. That means, like, if I'm just, like, a guy who wants to run, I have to register with the party.
0: Yeah, you would join. Yeah, you would join the okay. party.
1: Are there any requirements? To that? Do I have to, like, sign a thing being like, yeah, I'm, like, for this socialism project. Like, I'm on board. That kind of thing.
0: I guess so. To be a party that's, member. That's my question. Because yeah. I'm
1: like, at what point does it just become, like, almost an administrative apparatus instead of, like, a party as we think of it in terms of, like, we all believe mm. the same thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you do have to uh, – maybe that's what they're saying. They're saying, like, to take part in the political process, you have to, you have believe to be on board in certain fundamental things. So, like, in America, we do that, too. We say, you know, oh, you have to believe in the Constitution or whatever, right? <laughs> and
1: campaign financing.
0: Yeah, there has to – you know, <laughs> you do have to have certain agreements that and, – and it kind of goes unspoken, but, oh, yeah, everybody believes, you know – Capitalism. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> and it's It's there – and it's it's enforced informally, you know. I mean, if you do too well and you're going against capitalism, don't take an open car in Dallas, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's so, so. I mean, we still have those restrictions. It's just not codified, you know.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm open. <laughs> open hey, to maybe, ideas. Maybe it isn't the right
0: way to do it, though. I would. I I, I do kind of want to read. More I prefer into that
1: multi-party, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, I prefer like no parties but you know what i mean
0: (laughs) (laughs) i prefer party all the time oh i don't really i'm not a party guy but no yeah that sounds (laughs) exhausting all right so they come out with the arusha declaration yes yes they go across the country saying hey arusha declaration hey this is what we're gonna do and they implement it some stuff immediately uh the government nationalizes banks fuck yeah with compensation so kind of boo but like it's fine Uh-oh, at whatever. least you nationalize them
1: yeah yeah i'll take anything
0: they kind of more <laughs> yeah we're we're, half we're desperate smart. little rats at this point <laughs> regulate them at least
1: <laughs> Could do something
0: um <laughs> they more gradually nationalized uh, insurance companies import export businesses and mills And they did kind of like a state-owned enterprise situation. Uh, They got majority interest in some companies, too, like big cement Mm, and cigarette and beer and shoe manufacturers.
1: Nice. Got my government shoes.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Lenin would call that like the commanding heights of industry or whatever. You don't own everything but, like, the big guys. They also launched a government anti-corruption sort of uh, program, like a reform. That's a good call. Uh, Here's what that entailed. Banning leaders from owning shares of companies or serving on the board of private companies
1: it's like we should already be doing that huh (laughs) right it's crazy that maybe some countries not naming any names don't do that
0: it's wild it's truly (laughs) you hate to see it they also banned leaders from receiving more than one salary or being (laughs) landlords
1: (laughs) that's amazing Yeah. Wow. How many fuckers would we get rid of if we did even just one of those terms? (laughs)
0: For real. I mean, because how do they roll up to Congress like regular person rich and leave like multi-millionaires, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? How many fucking houses do those people own?
0: Yeah. How much inside trading do they do, too? (laughs) Oh, God. And that's, I mean, that's essentially just a liberal reform, y'all. Like, you could do that in America. We could just do it. And not be a socialist project at all really
1: no no that's like a very common sense thing i feel like if you ask most people they'd be like yeah that's fucked up right
0: yeah even right-wing people would still you know regular yeah, that, conservatives who are just like kind of racist like they would still be like oh yeah you know those corrupt assholes you know
1: exactly exactly
0: so anyway Ugh. so that was part of it and a, a bigger project that they start to undertake is called villagization. so remember part of the Ujama concept was creating like the recreating like the village the
1: village yeah idea
0: but they they so they're kind of actually going to try to do that literally and like okay. try to create uh, ujama cooperative villages
1: ooh okay so they're building like new places to live
0: yeah so the idea was to convince farmers to move to a village or to like establish a village for them to move to all right and then you would plant the crops nearby and eventually establish communal farms <gasps> to improve efficiency And to improve access to services, government services, healthcare, education, that sort of stuff.
1: Okay, I like this. This kind of makes sense because, like, you want everyone to be kind of close to, you know, your main needs. Like, your foods, your hospitals, whatever. And, I don't know. I like this. That was
0: the idea. Yeah, so it's- Okay,
1: did people like this, though? Because I can't- I mean, like, telling someone to move. Moving sucks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, they they thought so, too. This was very slow moving at first. (laughs) Fuck. Um, in the first seven years, you have about a thousand Ujamaa villages established uh, with about two million of Tanzania's 14 million people living there. Um, that's in the first seven years. That's pretty slow. And uh, Nyerere was like, yo, that's too slow. So in 1973, he says, speed it the fuck up. Probably doesn't say it that way because he's very devout. But um <laughs> says, speed it up. And
1: he's nice.
0: Yeah, and he's nice. Can you hey, please man. speed it up?
1: <laughs> Could you please move to this nice village I made for you?
0: Well, his um, underlings are not so nice. So the the mm. army and party militias <gasps> go to like do the transportation, basically.
1: Um. Okay.
0: And they tell people, hey, if, if you don't move to the village, we're not doing famine relief. We're not doing government services out here in wherever the fuck. Like we're, we're doing it in the villages. If you don't move there, you're not getting it.
1: So this part I don't
0: like. They kind of do some <laughs> threats. Um, 13 million people are moved to 7,000 villages in, uh, three years by 1976.
1: Okay. So I don't love this forced migration. I like the idea of like, yeah, it makes more sense economically to put people together, but you also have to consider like, these are like ancestral lands. Like it's gotta be really hard just to fucking leave.
0: Yeah. It was, um, it is carried out. Too efficiently, I guess. <laughs> um, apparently, Niereri like when he hears about this because like it does get worse. Some of the local officials who are carrying this out like burned down people's homes. Oh my uh, god! Killed some people, and Niereri was like, "What the fuck? Like I did, I was not." <laughs> I didn't
1: say like, do that. <laughs> yeah. So
0: he, apparently he was you know distressed about that. On the other hand, I mean he is so like you know it does happen because of him. He sets it in motion so I, I don't want to let the guy off the hook completely no
1: yeah be more clear in your directions i guess
0: yeah so uh Fuck. but it's not okay. like he you know said
1: <laughs> drag them out of their houses
0: at midnight <laughs> yeah. go in there and yeah you know i want bayonets fixed nothing like that
1: yeah okay still rough Ugh, that's that's a tentative strike
0: oh i mean you can give as many strikes as you want Remember, this ain't baseball
1: <laughs> yeah that's true all right he's up to three
0: ujama though does have some bright sides. We just mentioned, Hey, what about those services? And that totally helps. It gives better provision of government services. Uh, you see double the number of health centers and rural dispensaries built. And, you know, remember people have way better access to that because they're closer. It expands education by 1978, 80% of Tanzanian children are in school by 1980, you have near complete literacy. So It does have some bright spots to it.
1: Can I just point out, like, pretty much every socialist country gets on literacy, like, very quickly and does a very good job.
0: Yeah. If you're a fan of, like, (laughs) education, being able to read, healthcare, being alive, uh, life expectancy, uh, infant mortality rates dropped a whole bunch, life expectancy, all that. If you're a fan of that, you should try a little thing called socialism.
1: Mm -hmm. Follow me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we'll get you to communism. It'll be great.
1: It's going to be so fun, guys. <laughs> uh,
0: so, okay. Now we've arrived at the controversy section. Uh-oh. We'll, we'll jump back into the timeline stuff here. But this is just some of, like, while he was in power, you know, what did people criticize him for? So, uh, one is, like we mentioned, the, the zeal for reform. It got a little out of hand with the Ujamaa thing. But there was also... Uh, when the government nationalized all those buildings and stuff, a part part of that was also commercial buildings, apartments, and houses over a certain value, uh, which was, I mean, fine unless I'm the okay own, with that. it was unless the owner resided in them. So this is like extra property, right? Um, oh fuck yeah! Or who businesses cares? and stuff. Uh, who fucking cares? Well, the media took that and ran with it, and they said, you know, the people who were taking these from, they are, you know, kulaks, they are parasites. Uh, and that particularly wasn't very good language because uh, most of the people you remember, there's there's a big racial difference here. Ninety eight percent of the population is African, but you also had a large Asian population as well. And they tended to be the shopkeepers who were like being targeted by this.
1: Uh, OK, OK, that's a little rough.
0: So people were like, mm, that's not good.
1: Man, yeah, not a good look.
0: He also was trying to build up, remember, uh, Tanzanian culture. And so he established the Ministry of National Culture and Youth to kind of try to build this up. And it does a little bit of like <laughs> what we see in like the telenovelas where like the country people are the good guys and yes. the city people are the bad guys, that sort of thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> they so they they kind of did a similar thing this ministry of culture did like they were mm-hmm. p- kind of promoting rural lifestyles as good and like urban ones as like bad and decadent and stuff.
1: Uh-oh. Okay.
0: They also in 1973 banned foreign music on the radio
1: that's weird
0: (laughs) yeah so they just kind of did some you know kind of censorship stuff which is is not my bag
1: no yeah i like cities and music so that's (laughs) not gonna work for me all
0: right another section kind of focuses on human rights and one of those is like lgbt rights Uh uh-oh so from what i can tell uh, homosexuality was illegal in colonial times and then not criminalized, uh, in Tanzania or Tanganyika when they, you know, it wasn't yeah. criminalized under Nyerere. It's not until 1998 that they passed the sexual offenses, special provisions act it was made punishable with 30 years to life in prison.
1: Woof. Wait, sorry. What year?
0: 1998.
1: Okay. So they go back and make it punishable. Yeah. That's rough.
0: So that's what I can, that's from what I can tell. Uh, The article that I was reading said that Nyerere didn't legislate on it. So I guess I just don't think it was a thing. He didn't legislate on it for kind of a messed up reason. He,
1: he's Catholic.
0: He said that homosexuality was alien to Africa. And so it wasn't necessary.
1: Oh, Okay.
0: A little bit in denial there.
1: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit.
0: Anyway, problematic faves.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: but he was very nice
1: (laughs) (laughs) he was so nice did not believe that gay people existed but was really nice (laughs) how
0: could yeah those are two weird combos okay
1: i mean he was catholic poor thing yeah didn't stand a chance
0: (laughs) shout out to our catholic (laughs) listeners out there
1: i understand
0: (laughs) uh free speech so people could criticize government policy and they did that in party meetings in public, in the newspapers, like, it wasn't some exaggerated police state style thing. Uh, but people who were accused of being political subversives, they were detained without trial with that thing, the preventative oh, detention Oh, the preventative law.
1: thingy. Oh, gosh. Yeah.
0: So a- Amnesty International in 1977, which I've raised before my, you know, suspicions and whatnot about them. You got to be careful. But their estimate was around a thousand people detained at that time. And then by 1981, their estimate was fewer than 100.
1: Okay, so, like, those aren't that many people. <laughs> no,
0: it's not. It's I mean, I mean, it's still
1: not great, if true. America like, has that
0: many people in black sites overseas getting tortured by the CIA, I'm sure. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> like, like, on any given Tuesday.
1: Like, that's really not that many.
0: Yeah, it's still bad, you know, you don't it's, want...
1: Yeah, not a good look. You don't want but... to do that.
0: Um, also, people kind of argued... Um, about whether like so sometimes members of parliament and stuff or government officials would get charged with like corruption or treason and things like that um and people kind of suspected you know oh is that true or was that like a cover story for you know crossing your area in some way
1: oh okay
0: now i kind of raised this because i wanted to mention that you in the western press anyway you see this a lot or now and then anyway in regards to reporting on china when when they occasionally like squash a billionaire or two, you know, they, they, they put them in jail and take all their shit and then they release them later. And the, and the billionaire's like, Oh, I love, you know, China or whatever. People are like, Oh, they crossed the, the Chinese communist party. So that's why that happened to them. They weren't actually just like corrupt or something. I don't know the facts in either case, but to me, that was the parallel that I saw was like, maybe there are corrupt billionaires sometimes and you got to go after them, you know? but maybe you're right maybe they are like actually just quashing a dissident
1: yeah that's a good question i i do not know i mean and the, and that's the trouble with like so much of the media coverage in in china and i'm sure like the sources on any socialist country are going to be pretty fucked
0: yeah that's that's the struggle we face <laughs> uh let's see what do we got uh january 1971 neighboring uganda their president obote who was friends with your area.
1: yeah yeah they met
0: yeah he got overthrown a military <gasps> coup it was led by Idi amin um who if you ever watched the last king of scotland that's who that guy's based off of
1: no i don't know what that is
0: okay it's it's a movie um
1: well i figured that out but... forrest
0: whitaker it's like it's good
1: okay i like Force whitaker
0: he was i mean he was a bloodthirsty dictator like it like a, a military coup to stop uh obote's increasingly socialist regime um, and basically, they were worried that, like, they were the military's privileges were going to be done away with.
1: All right. Did they have any help from some friends?
0: Uh, there's alleged British and <laughs> Israeli support. It's not widely alleged, but I did see that out there. And you know me, I like a good allegation <laughs> against my <laughs> enemies. Too. So, me too. <laughs> um, but these socialist policies were going to hurt British corporations ugandan support for anti-apartheid forces under obote uh was hurting their geopolitical interests so it does make sense for britain to help amin with this
1: yeah they weren't upset about it probably
0: plus the brit yeah no they were not they recognized <laughs> the new government like really quickly
1: immediately yeah
0: um and amin was a real asshole but tensions grew over time between Nyerere and and amin Uh, Nyerere offered Obote, the guy who had been overthrown, offered him refuge, um, allowed exiled Ugandans to set up rebel bases in Tanzania. Oh, wow. Again, brought him snacks and everything. And for a few years there, there's like a series of minor provocations and retaliations. So they'll piss off Uganda. Uganda will like do a bombing real quick. And then like, you know, so back and forth. But October 1978, Uganda invaded Tanzania. Okay. So this kicked off the Uganda-Tanzania War. It's pretty brief. October 9th, 1978
1: to June 3rd, 1979.
0: Oh, that is kind of short. Okay. Yeah. Nyerere is like, I'm not just going to drive back their invasion. I'm going to overthrow that motherfucker.
1: Holy shit. Okay. He rolls up his sleeves. Yeah.
0: He's like, no more Mr. Nice Guy, you know?
1: <laughs> he puts away his nice smile.
0: <laughs> and uh, there is actually a really good picture of him frowning. <laughs> he okay, he looks I mean, he looks very intense
1: let me look at it there he is
0: you see it drowning. like staring right at oh the yeah camera. he's like very, he's
1: absolutely mean
0: that's his war face
1: yeah that's definitely the war face
0: so uh he mobilizes tens of thousands of militia to aid the regular army and then launches a counter invasion uh and some of this is brutal it's war uh but they, they roll back Amin's forces, they capture the capital and they force Amin to go into exile. Later on down the road he'll die in exile. He never comes back to power.
1: Great. I love that.
0: Yeah. Uh what I what you won't love about the war <laughs> is that it was super expensive.
1: Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna talk about how many people died or something. Well but...
0: lots of people died too. You won't love that, but
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh it was super expensive is the real big uh downside for Tanzania costs an estimated million dollars a day
1: oh my gosh
0: uh completely disrupts food supplies and health care provisions and ultimately makes the country start looking toward a <clears throat> recurring good friend of the show Mm-mm. the imf for help
1: no i was worried about that
0: yeah no they're out of money they got to go to the bank no so in 1979 after that huge, crazy, expensive war, finance minister Edwin Matei goes and talks to the IMF and negotiates an austerity deal with them. Our favorite words.
1: Fuck. Okay.
0: So he's like, you know, debt relief in exchange for austerity. Classic bullshit. You know, wage freezes, <laughs> interest hikes, you know, more free trade, whatever that means, and mm-hmm. less government spending. Great. Takes it to Nyerere. And Nyerere's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs>
1: Fuck yes, that's my guy.
0: <laughs> He's like, this is ridiculous. No way. The IMF's a neocolonial tool. Yes. They are just trying to put another collar on us. No.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's just colonialism through a bank.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he rejected it. Matei says, well, fuck it, yeah. I resign. And the Raider's like, whatever, I will need you. Like, you're a dumbass trying to go get an IMF thing.
1: <laughs> Love it.
0: So he wins yet another election in 1980. Um, But by this point, he's kind of, you know, he's got an eye on the door. He kind of wants to help the party find a successor.
1: Makes sense.
0: Now, the party by this point has a new name.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: Back in 1977, they merged with Zanzibar's ASP, the the revolutionary party that they had. Oh, shit. They merged to form Chamacha Mapinduzi, uh, or the CCM. It translates to the Party of the Revolution.
1: Oh, that's a cool fucking name.
0: That is a good name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm into that.
0: So he's trying to help the CCM find a successor. And it doesn't seem like he has the final say in this, which I think is interesting. All throughout the whole thing, like we say, oh, Nyerere did this and this and this. But like sometimes he, he passed laws because Parliament or, you know, supported it. Versus him, the legislature really wanted it, and he's like, "Okay." Or they rejected something that he wanted to do. Um, he wanted to do like a retirement plan for government officials, and they were like, "No, we're not doing that." You know, so he, so he's not an all-powerful dictator. But here, uh, the CCM, the guy that ch- they choose for this is is Ali Hassan Mwinyi. Mwinyi wanted to do economic liberalization, which is not at all what Nyerere was about. No, you know, the economy was by this point really suffering. And so I think Nyerere realized something had to be done, and a lot of people wanted to change the direction versus he wanted to more stick with, you know, let's keep doing socialism. We're trying to do socialism. Uh, but uh, Mwenyi, the successor guy, wants to do the IMF plan. No. Wants to start basically doing more capitalism. He says, no. you know, we've got to. We don't have another choice. And there's not a lot of details on this, like what party... Mm. what party maneuvers went into this Uh, but Nyerere ends up agreeing to support his candidacy and step down from you know not run again this is in 1985
1: okay how the fuck do you get that out of a former revolutionary party joining with like that just doesn't make any sense
0: (laughs) well I think by that point the revolutionary part of it had gone like that was no longer you know it was reformist at best that's why it was the time to go ahead and merge And they're also in, like, the hardest time for any leftist, non-Western-aligned country. The late 80s, the Soviet Union is falling apart. They're not exactly handing out any sort of subsidies for anybody anymore.
1: That's true. They're really on their own at this point.
0: Uh, China, at this point, is engaged in, um, in its reforms, its liberalizations under Deng Xiaoping. So, globally, there's not a lot of outlets that are looking to... Stabilize a country that doesn't want to tow the IMF line.
1: Fuck. Okay.
0: And so, Newary ends up agreeing to Winyi being the new guy, uh, and steps down from power. He so he does like the uh, the speech circuit, sort of um, gives some international speeches and conferences and stuff, and in the meantime works as chair of the party still. But I guess with less, you know, again, it's it's a democratic thing because he doesn't really you don't see him like getting his way. You know, they start making a lot of changes. Although one thing that he does kind of guide is in 1990, he pushes the party to transition to a multi-party democracy, kind of changes his tone on that. His idea here was that it would help reform and improve the party in the future, like get it new ideas in competition with other parties instead of becoming stagnant.
1: Interesting. I wonder if that's because he saw it kind of get watered down throughout his long leadership you know
0: i think that's part of it i think another part too is the time like this is the soviet union's about collapse they've already done perestroika and glasnost so they've kind of like started opening up and liberalizing some more and you also saw those sorts of liberalizing moves in terms of political rights and stuff in eastern europe as well and when we say political rights i get it that is like a, a bourgeois way to think of it but those sorts of like ostensibly democratic like you can vote for more people sort of thing.
1: Yes. Like in the way we were talking about earlier, how like, you know, debates are available for whether or not it's actually more democratic, but what most people consider more democratic.
0: Right. Yeah. Or what we're taught maybe.
1: Yes. Yes. That might be more accurate.
0: So he pushes the party to do that. They do. And he retires that year, like is no longer the party chair. Uh, occasionally, he kind of comments on various government policies and basically just complains about them for a while. He just (laughs) writes in the paper like, this is bullshit. Why are we doing this?
1: Hilarious. Like the Uh, guy you hired, like turns out to be shitty. Yeah, you knew that when you hired him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of a misstep there on his part. In 1998, uh, he finds out that he has terminal leukemia. September 1999, he travels to England for medical care. He's hospitalized there and dies October 14th, 1999.
1: How old was he, though?
0: So he was born in 1922,
1: so 77, oh, wow. I guess.
0: Okay, okay. And yeah, the people after him, Winnie, like we said, was kind of a liberalization guy. He starts them on the road of uh, basically undoing um, the socialist policies of Ujamaa. Uh, he takes a $78 million IMF loan. Ugh. They impose an austerity plan.
1: And just to be clear, austerity basically means like you can't do any fucking social programs. Like you can't spend any money,
0: right? Your government cuts back a ton on that. Yeah, it's it's essentially that's the main thrust of it. Uh, The World Bank, you know, they're not going to be left out. Uh, (laughs) They jumped in with what the article called structural adjustment credits, which if you look that up, is just a fancy way to say loans with strings attached.
1: Yeah, Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's credits, right? That's the loan part. And then structural adjustment is that. Austerity stuff is you've got to restructure your government, all that.
1: AKA make it more friendly for business. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Gross.
0: So of course people suffered all those, you know, improving things that we had talked about like that, that leveled out or got worse. Corruption skyrocketed with when Yi and subsequent presidents, like there's a series of corruption scandals with these guys. You never had that with Nyerere. He was very, you know, Famously austere, he did have a driver, but he had his own car and like stopped at stoplights instead of having a big fancy motorcade and shit. You know, dressed really simply, not someone trying to rob the government.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And an un- an interesting coda I will add here, now that we're on the other side of, Nyerere's death, a Tanzanian diocese of the Catholic Church put Nyerere's name forward as a candidate for canonization as a saint. Whoa yeah and on may 13th 2005 pope benedict the 16th declared him <gasps> a servant of god
1: okay what does that mean so that
0: is someone who is on the first step of the canonization process
1: <gasps> oh like the blessed mother Teresa of caltada yeah yeah,
0: yeah like that sort of thing <laughs> oh,
1: i mean my i gosh. think that's a different
0: like that's a next step maybe or
1: yeah i think she might be on level two <laughs> <laughs> wow okay i was wondering because like when i was looking at pictures one of them like the source was like the vatican i'm like why are you doing it on a vatican website
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and
1: okay that
0: was an element for him in his socialism too so he was a guy who like didn't think oh you know we're going to try to make everyone christians but like his christianity i think in his catholicism he very much bought into like this idea that Christianity had some sort of liberatory potential like it, yeah. you know, should if you were a good Christian, if you were a good Catholic, you would be socialist.
1: Okay. Maybe we should tell mom about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> we got a new saint for you to look at. Saint,
0: yeah. St. Julius. There's <laughs> probably a real, you know, an actual St. Julius sure already. Is. He has to get another. Well, St. Julius of Tanzania. There yeah. Yeah.
1: You get an of at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh so yeah, there he is.
1: Interesting, dude. Very interesting. Like I don't know. He was he was kind of such a mixed bag and I wonder how much of that was his like quote-unquote niceness is his ability to kind of get along with everyone and like put together policies that were like, quote unquote, reasonable, you know?
0: Yeah, that that don't fit our definition of why didn't you just, you know, execute the landlords or something? Or... <laughs>
1: yeah, he wasn't radical. I'll say that. Yeah. But he was still cool.
0: Do you think that for you, that's the, the biggest point of contention? Or is it more like the various missteps of being too heavy handed with authority?
1: Yeah, because when I look back at my strikes, they were all for like, yeah, the more authoritarian side of things. And even those weren't that bad. You know? They,
0: they were like, pretty yeah, they were they were pretty J V compared to like Stalin or something. <laughs>
1: compared to shit that like the United States does oh, like, for sure. all the yeah. time. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty pretty nominal faults there. So yeah, I I think my actual biggest strike would be the way he handled like the end. And maybe dude was just tired and was like, Man, I don't have time to find a better replacement. This is just gonna have to be this guy.
0: No, I think that's that's totally a, a valid criticism for sure. How do you think he could have managed that better?
1: I don't know. Like, I I think having been in power that long, he had to have, like, acquired some fucking clout and some fucking, you know, clearly he was popular. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wish he had used that platform towards the end to be like, no, like, don't accept anything less than what we're working towards. Like, push the people to put forward a more left candidate that wouldn't take the IMF kind of uh trap
0: yeah i mean if he'd hit the circuit and riled him up and gave him that winning smile like probably would have worked you know
1: (laughs) yeah and just explain like hey this is a fucking scam do you want to be colonialized again because that's what this is yeah i i think that would have been cool but also like i get dude was like in his 70s he's probably ready to be done so
0: yeah but i i think part of that is the it's like a lesson in the importance of building like a lasting project you know we saw that with Sankara too. he was very charismatic, but when that charismatic leader is gone, your institutions that are left behind have to be strong enough to carry forward your revolutionary project
1: exactly yeah and it it's striking because his initial party building was so strong that I thought, "Oh, like this guy's got it made, but like it kind of got watered down as they went, and I understand that like we were talking about how circumstances were very poor at the time. Like there were not a lot of good options for sure. They would have struggled if they had continued. I think like they would have struggled in some other way.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah, true. Like I do think you got to prepare for the future and everything. But it's it's e- like you said, it's easier said than done. I was trying to think of an analogy. Like okay, you know, oh, you want if you're building a house, right? You don't want to slap dash it. <laughs> you want to make sure that everything is is well constructed so it can last a long time. that analogy is not very good like it's actually it would be like if you're building the house of socialism it's like in the middle of a hurricane uh the americans are raining down napalm
1: i was gonna say yeah someone's trying to take down the house every brick you lay they knock it over
0: nazi death squads are coming in uh
1: (laughs) and then you have some people who are like what if we just build a tent instead
0: yeah and then people come in you know trying to convince your fellow work crew people to like just Bomb it instead, or you know, maybe they can get their own private mansion, or it's just off, it's a fucked up analogy. But I, I guess what I mean to say is it's really super hard to build a perfect thing in such antagonistic conditions, and so it's easy for us to sit back and like, well, why don't you like build like a, a powerful worker state that's also like democratic and listen to the needs of the masses and you know, make sure that it's that it doesn't get corrupted the capitalist road? Like, come on, dude.
1: I mean, honestly, I think the the turning point was that war with Uganda, like when you start using your resources like that, and the addition of like not having a global socialist community because shit was falling apart with everybody else too. like, you didn't have anyone to land on. So like, yeah, they were between a fucking rock and a hard place.
0: Yeah, that was exceptionally bad timing, really. You know, a more powerful Soviet Union, socialist countries in, in Eastern Europe and stuff. Yeah, they could have they could have helped, but
1: Overall, though, I think he was cool. Yeah, I think I think he did some cool stuff. I, I think some of his ideas were kind of out there, like the village thing, like relocating people. At first, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then I like actually thought about it. And like you told me about the effects. I'm like, yeah, that actually would be really difficult. So <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I thought with that, because that's something, you know, it's got its pros. It's got its cons. It did basically fail, like Ujamaa did. And... I I think it's because he, he kind of got too far out ahead of people with that one. Like normally we're sitting here saying like, well, he's not going that far. He's being kind of cautious, but I mean, come 1976 he, or 1973, he went ham on the, on the, uh, relocation bit. And that seems to have been the one kind of instance of acting too fast, too drastically. And it didn't work, you know, like that's, uh, that gets the Maoists call that, uh, commandism when you get too far out ahead of the masses and yeah i mean again he's not really taking like a maoist or a or a marxist leninist even analysis to it so he's not trying to do mass line or anything like that so maybe that was a weakness to it too is the party wasn't like connected enough to realize that hey we're we're fucking up by pushing too far
1: but i think even if he had looked at his original kind of ideas of like pan-africanism and like african socialism of like understanding like incorporating cultural importance into your socialism i think he would have realized like hey maybe it's not a great idea to kick these people off their fucking land
0: yeah that's true that's true
1: <laughs> you know like i feel like that's a pretty easy connection to make
0: yeah and i think that he accidentally borrowed from utopian socialism in in trying to put that together because he was critical of he was like those guys they don't know about africa but then i mean then he's talking about doing i'm gonna
1: build new towns instead of just building like a railway to connect the towns right
0: so he's (laughs) he's, he's kind of like just
1: spent all the money there
0: accidentally reinventing that yeah
1: interesting yeah i like him
0: yeah he's again a nice guy we can't stress that enough very nice (laughs) so nice guys i think for me he probably did more good things than bad
1: I think so, too. Yeah, the bad ones, I was never like, (gasps) how dare you? (laughs) You
0: Yeah, and for me, the bad ones are more like disappointments. I'm not like, oh, you asshole. Uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, man, you know, you threw somebody in jail. That's not very nice. Or, oh, you banned strikes. It's not very nice. But most of the time, it was like, ah, fuck, that didn't work. Like, that sucks, you know?
1: More circumstantial.
0: Like, you feel for him. Again, it's that charisma role, man. You identify with him.
1: Very charming.
0: So that's um, Wiley Moo, That is Julius Neweri Is life and times.
1: Thanks for teaching me.
0: Anytime. Again, <laughs> actually once a week.
1: Actually once a week. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing next week? We're watching a movie, right?
0: I don't know. Yes? Yes? Yes. All right.
1: The answer's yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're watching
0: a movie. Uh, yeah, we're watching The Young Karl Marx.
1: Looks like it's available on Amazon, which is interesting.
0: They show crazy stuff on there sometimes.
1: Yeah, they don't fucking care.
0: It's content. Capitalism subverses, <laughs> subsumes everything, even the, even the anti-capitalist stuff, and sells it to you as content.
1: It sure does. It's great. <laughs> I love it here.
0: That said, you can subscribe to our Patreon. That actually doesn't feed capitalism. I know that sounds incongruous, but we're not using it for profit of any sort so
1: (laughs) nope it goes to mutual aid y'all
0: yeah so anyway yeah check that out if you want to uh borrow a friend's (laughs) amazon
1: find it somewhere just lying around
0: yeah it fell off a truck you know however it happens
1: (laughs) cool all right well i will talk to you next week then
0: all right see you then Bye. bye Hey there, comrades. Just
1: jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email that's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us, or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, You can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes. So check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.